السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, once again we gather for the tafsir of the Holy Qur'an Having started from the end of the Qur'an we've now reached Surah Al-Zilzal Last month we did Surah Al-Adiyat Surah Al-Zilzal Is the 99th Surah Of the Quran It's one of the early Makkan Surahs And so the theme and topic Reflect The themes and topics Of the Makkan Surahs Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim Bismillahir rahmanir rahim Iza zulzilatil ardu zilzalaha When the earth will be shaken It's great shaking Wa akhrajatil ardu athqalaha And the earth will cast out its burdens Wa qala l'insanu ma laha And when man will say, what is the matter with it? يَوْمَئِذٍ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا On that day it will reveal, or it will relate its tales. بِأَنَّ رَبَّكَ أَوْحَا لَهَا Because your Lord will have inspired it. يَوْمَئِذٍ يَصْلُرُ النَّاسُ أَشْتَاتَ On that day, people will emerge in groups. لِيَرَوْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ إِشْتَاتًا Dispersed People will emerge or come out dispersed لِيَرَوْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ So that they may be shown their deeds فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ So whoever does an atom's weight of good will see it وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ And whoever does an atom's weight of evil will see it. That's just a very simple translation of the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the surah to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as I said in the early days of Makkah al-Mukarramah. In the very early days of Islam, in Mecca, 
the audience of the Prophet ﷺ was predominantly the Quraysh of Mecca and those tribes who surrounded Mecca or who visited Mecca in for trade or for pilgrimage. And so the Meccan surahs have a certain theme which is common to all the Meccan surahs. The language, the style, the topics, the content. All of these are very different to the Madani surahs, those surahs that were revealed to the Prophet ﷺ after Hijrah. In Medina, since Muslims were now free to congregate, they had a communal life. They assumed various responsibilities. They needed a system that would regulate their everyday life. Many laws were revealed in the Madani period. Furthermore, the audience of the Prophet was now much wider and much greater and diverse. It did not just consist of the Meccan Arabs. Rather, word was spreading far and wide. More and more people were traveling to Medina to embrace Islam. The Prophet was now entering treaties as a leader with other tribes, etc. So, the life of the life of the Prophet وسلم, and the Muslims in Medina was very different to their life in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And the contents and themes of the Madani surahs reflect this. Many laws were revealed. The those who were being addressed were of a much more diverse audience. And Prophet also increasingly interacted with the Christians of Arabia and the Jews, especially the Jews of Medina. Furthermore, a new group had emerged in Medina, one that had no need to exist in Mecca, the group of the Munafiqeen, the hypocrites. So again, the, these groups featured in the Madani surahs. But none of these facts were evident in the Meccan life of the Muslims. And so there were no laws, there wasn't a great discussion of any of these different factions and groups that the Prophet وسلم, and the Muslims had to interact with. And therefore the focus in the Meccan surahs was mainly on Tawheed, monotheism, the condemnation of idolatry, of shirk, and the practice of the pagan Arabs of associating partners and deities with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Furthermore, there was one other theme of the Meccan surahs which was quite important, which is that the Meccans, the Quraysh, most of them did not believe in any life after death. They genuinely believed that there was no more life after death. There was nothing beyond death. Not in terms of the Muslim belief anyway. Some of them had beliefs such as the spirits continue, continuing to live. Or some of them, not all of them. And various other similar beliefs. But in general, 
life after death, and especially the resurrection as we understand it, as Muslims understand it, they had no such belief. So the uh, nor did they believe in a day of reckoning or accountability after death. So the Quran, along with Tawheed and monotheism, in the Meccan surahs, also concentrates on these topics of belief in life after death, in the resurrection, in the hereafter, and in the final hour of judgment, all of which the Meccans denied. And Surah Al-Zilzal reflects the same theme also. Here, overall, what we have in Surah Al-Zilzal, which we will read now, is a discussion of the final hour of judgment, of the day of reckoning, of resurrection, and of accountability in the hereafter. Now this surah, the 99th surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Zilzal, is also known as Surah Ida Zulzilat, more famously, and also Surah Al-Zilzal. Prophet used to recite this surah often. In the Turaqa'at, which he prayed after Witr Salah at times, it's said that he would read Surah Al-Zilzal and Surah Qul Ya Ayyuhal Kafirun, Surah Ida Zulzalat and Surah Qul Ya Ayyuhal Kafirun. And it's also narrated that the Prophet Wasallam once read both surahs in Salah with the companions, sorry, he read the same surah in both rak'at, in the first rak'ah as well as the second rak'ah. So he actually repeated Surah Ida Zulzilah in the second rak'ah of the same salah. So it's also known as Surah Al-Zilzal, Surah Ida Zulzilat, and Surah Zulzilat. It was revealed in the early days of Makkah. Ida Zulzilat al-Ardu Zilzalaha. Allah says, when the earth will be shaken, it's great shaking. Before I continue, I'd just also like to mention that the surah is very comprehensive. In just a few verses, it covers some of the key topics of the akhirah, resurrection, the final hour of judgment, appealing to the creation to fear Allah, and most importantly, accountability. It's related by Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal and others that a man came to the Prophet and said to him, Give me something to read. So the Prophet suggested a number of different surahs to him of the Quran, but he kept on repeating something else, something else. Then he said, give me a comprehensive surah. So the Prophet ﷺ read this to him and said, read, إِذَا زُلْزِلَةِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا And then he read the surah. So the man stood up and walked away saying, this is sufficient for me. Meaning this surah is sufficient for me. So the Prophet ﷺ actually said, Indeed, the man is successful. The man has succeeded. 
Meaning, the meaning is that if he adheres to this surah, if he suffices with the meanings and the lessons of this surah, then the little man will have succeeded. And one of the most important lessons of this surah is what's mentioned right at the end, that of accountability. And for me, which I will explain once we get there. So, when the earth will be shaken, it's great shaking. And when the earth will cast out its burdens. Here the Qur'an speaks of a quake, a great shaking, an earthquake. So what is it referring to? Well, this can be best understood from another verse of the Qur'an at the beginning of Surah Al-Hajj, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّ زَلْزَلَةَ السَّاعَةِ شَيْءٌ عَظِيمٌ يَوْمَ تَرَوْنَهَا تَذْهَلُ كُلُّ مُرْضِعَةٍ عَمَّا أَرْضَعَتْ وَتَضَعُ كُلَّ ذَاتِ حَمْلٍ حَمْلَهَا وَتَرَى النَّاسِ السُّكَارَى وَمَا هُمْ بِسُكَارَى وَلَكِنَّ عَذَابُ اللَّهِ شَدِيدٌ Quran says, O people, fear your Lord, be conscious of your Lord. إِنَّ الزَّلْزَلَةَ السَّاعَةِ شَيْءٌ عَظِيمٌ Indeed, the quake of the hour is a great thing. On the day when each breastfeeding mother will become neglectful of her child, and when each pregnant one will abort her child, And you will see the people intoxicated in a drunken stupor. But in reality they they will not be drunk. They they won't be intoxicated. But the punishment of Allah is severe. The Quran portrays a very vivid image of the final hour of judgment. And this occurs elsewhere in the Quran. In, in many different places, the Qur'an speaks of the final hour of judgment. إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ لَيْسَ لِوَقَعَتِهَا كَاذِبَةِ خَافِضَةٌ رَافِعَةٌ إِذَا رُجَّتِ الْأَرْضُ رَجَّةٌ وَبُسَّتِ الْجِبَالُ بَسَّةٌ فَكَانَتْ هَبَاءً مُنْبَثَّةٌ وَكُنْتُمْ أَزْوَاجٍ ثَلَاثَةٌ Quran says in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, when, when the befalling one shall befall, <coughs> there is nothing to reject and belie its occurrence. It will be elevating and debasing, meaning it will raise some and, deba- and base and humiliate others. إِذَا رُجَّتِ الْأَرْضُ رَجَّةً When the earth will be shaken, 
And when the mountains, a great shaking, and when the mountains will be crushed and crumbled, a great crumbling. <coughs> so much so, the fakanat haba'a the mountains will become like scattered dust. وَكُنْتُمْ أَزْوَاجٍ ثَلَاثَةٍ And you will become three groups. So there are many different verses throughout the Qur'an which depict the same very vivid image of the final hour of judgment. But the closest verse to this is the verse of Surah Al-Hajj where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اتَّقُوا رَبَّكُمْ إِنَّ زَلْزَلَةَ السَّاعَةِ شَيْءٌ عَظِيمٌ O people, fear your Lord, for indeed the quake of the hour is a great thing. On the day when each breastfeeding mother will become neglectful of her child, and when each pregnant one will abort her burden, and you will see people in a drunk state, but they will not be drunk. Rather, it is a punishment punishment of Allah, which is severe. So, the same is being spoken of here. Allah says, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا When the earth will be shaken, it's great shaking. So the shaking that's being referred to, the quake, the great earthquake, will be that of the final hour of judgment. On that occasion, something else will happen. وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا And the earth will cast out, it will throw out its burdens. Now, there's a very simple meaning to this, which is that both closer to the day of reckoning and on the day of reckoning, the earth will open up and it will throw out all that it contains. This includes its gold and silver, its resources, its valuables. But on the day of judgment, it will throw out its burdens of bodies. Human beings will emerge. And people will come out of their graves. That will be its greatest burden, its greatest weight that it will cast out. Another thing which it will cast out is its secrets. That's mentioned in the later verse. So, وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا And the earth will cast out its burdens. وَقَالَ الْإِنسَانُ مَا لَهَا And man will exclaim on that occasion, what is the matter with it? That the earth is coming out with everything. It's casting out all that it contains and it's it's shaking and most importantly it's revealing everything on that day the earth will relate its tales because your lord will have inspired it or instructed it This is the first main part of this surah. That on the day of judgment, on the day of reckoning, once people will have emerged from their graves, from their resting places, and amassed in the plane of reckoning, 
when they will stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On that day, initially people will deny, people will choose to conceal their misdeeds. But on that day everything will be revealed. Not only will the earth cast out its secrets and reveal its secrets, but the innermost secrets of the hearts will be extracted. Everything will be revealed. Allah says, يَوْمَ تُبْلَ السَّرَائِرِ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ وَلَا In one surah. يَوْمَ تُبْلَ السَّرَائِرِ On the day when all the secrets shall be revealed. So on that day he will have no strength. And he will have no assistance. The surah which we did last month and which comes after this, Surah Al-Adiyat. What comes at the end of that surah? أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ وَحُسْئِلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ لَخَبِيرٍ Does man not know? When that which is in the graves, will be, will be scattered. And that which is in the hearts will be extracted. Everything will be revealed. And man may choose to conceal, to hide, to deny. But everything will testify against him. His mouth will be sealed initially, and the limbs of his body will testify against him. In fact, the earth will testify against him. And in relation to this again, Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a hadith in his sunnah. That on the day of reckoning, Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal relates this hadith also. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Atadruna ma akhbaruha? Do you know what the tales of the earth will be? Or what they are? When the Quran says, Yawma'idhin tuhaddithu akhbaraha? On that day when the earth will relate its tales. أَتَدْرُونَ مَا أَخْبَارُهَا Do you know what its tales are? So the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم said, No, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet wasallam said, On the day of reckoning, the earth will testify against man, saying that on this very spot, on, on this occasion, this person committed such and such a deed. <coughs> So the earth will reveal its secrets, its innermost secrets of treasures, its resources, its minerals, its riches, its deposits of both metals and men. It will cast out its burdens of the buried and it will also reveal the secrets of the deeds that were performed, that were committed on its surface. By humans, he will actually testify against them. يَوْمَئِذٍ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا بِأَنَّ رَبَّكَ أَوْحَى لَهَا And this will be because Allah will have commanded it. Man will actually say the same to his limbs. He will remonstrate with his limbs and protest, saying, Why do you testify against me? And they will reply by saying, أَنْتَقَنَ اللَّهُ الَّذِي أَنْتَقَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ 
that that Allah who gave speech to everything has given us speech and the power of speech. Has given us the power of speech and the command to speak this day. So the earth also will testify because your Lord will have commanded it. On that day, when the earth will reveal its secrets, people will emerge in groups, dispersed. How will they be in different groups? How will they be dispersed? Well, as I said, the Qur'an explains itself. Different parts of the Qur'an explain different other parts. Famous saying in Tafsir al-Qur'an, يُفَسِّرُ بَعْضُهُ بَعْضًا the Qur'an, part of it, clarifies the rest. So, Surah Al-Waqi'ah, which I recited earlier, very similar beginning. إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ لَيْسَ لِوَقَعَتِهَا كَاذِبَةِ خَافِضَةٌ رَافِعَةِ إِذَا رُجَّتِ الْأَرْضُ رَجَّةِ وَبُسَّتِ الْجِبَالُ بَسَّةِ فَكَانَتْ هَبَاءً مُنْبَثَّةِ وَكُنْتُمْ أَزْوَاجًا ثَلَاثًا فَأَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ مَا أَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ وَأَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةِ مَا أَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةِ وَالسَّابِقُونَ السَّابِقُونَ أُولَٰئِكَ الْمُقَرَّبُونَ Allah says, when, إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ When the befalling shall befall, when the great occurrence shall occur, there will be nothing to belie or to reject its occurrence. خَافِضَةٌ رَافِعَةٌ That great occurrence, Allah is speaking of the hour of judgment, that great occurrence will base and humiliate and disgrace and lower some. Rafi'ah, and it will raise and elevate others. When the earth shall be shaken a great shaking, and the mountains will be crushed and crumbled, a great crumbling. So much so that Fakanat Haba they will become like scattered dust. وَكُنْتُمْ أَزْوَاجًا ثَلَاثَةً And you will be three groups, or of three kinds. And what, what three kinds? So the Qur'an continues in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, فَأَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ مَا أَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ So the people of the right, how great will be the people of the right? وَأَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةِ مَا أَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةِ And the people of wretchedness, i.e. on the left, how wretched will be the people of the left? That's two groups. And the third, And the foreigners, they are the foreigners. These are the ones who are drawn close, i.e. to Allah. So you have the people of the right, the people of the left, and then you have the elite of the people of the right. So these are the different groups, and that's exactly what's meant here. That, On that day when people shall emerge, dispersed, i.e. in different groups. The good. The people of the right, the people of the left. The elite of the people of the right. And no matter which group they may belong to. They will all emerge, لِيَرَوْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ So that they may be shown their deeds. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًّا يَرَهُ So whoever does 
an atom's weight of good, he will see it. And whoever commits an atom's weight of sin or evil will see it. This is probably the greatest lesson of this surah. Accountability on the day of judgment. We've done a number of surahs recently. All of them speak about the hereafter and accountability. Last month we did Surah Al-Adiyat. The month before we did Surah Al-Qari'ah. That's very similar. Al-Qari'atum Al-Qari'ah wa ma adraakum Al-Qari'ah. يَوْمَ يَكُونُ النَّاسُ كَالْفَرَاشِ الْمَبْثُوثِ وَتَكُونُ الْجِبَالُ كَالْعِهْنِ الْمَنْفُوشِ فَأَمَّا مَنْ ثَقُلَتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَهُوَ فِي عِيشَةِ الرَّاضِيَةِ وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَفَّتْ مَوَازِينُهُ فَأُمُّهُ هَاوِيَةِ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَ نَارٌ حَامِيَةِ القارعتم القارعه The striking one The great blow The great knock What are the great blow? And what do you know of the great blow? On the day when people will be like scattered moths. And even the mountains will be like carded wool. And then straight away Allah says, فَأَمَّا مَنْ ثَقُلَتْ مُوَازِينُ So as for one whose scales are heavy, then he is in the life content. And as for one whose scales are light, then his abode or his destination or his place is the pit. And what do you know of it? Narun Hamiyah, a blazing, raging fire. So again, the surah, Surah Al Qari'ah, which we did two months ago, which is the uh, third surah after, well, the second surah after this, the first surah is Surah Al Adiyah. The pattern is very similar. Allah speaks of the day, the hour of judgment, the day of reckoning. Allah depicts and portrays it with vivid imagery. And then immediately, accountability. It's very simple. Whoever scales are heavy will succeed. Whoever scales are light will perish. Then, similarly, in the next surah, which we did last month, at the beginning, imagery. And then finally, the day of judgment and accountability and reckoning. Does he not know that when that which is in the graves will be scattered and that which is in the hearts will be extracted? Indeed, your Lord, indeed their Lord is well aware of them on that day. The Qur'an focuses on drawing people's attention to the hereafter, to life after death. On realising that this life is nothing compared to the life of the hereafter. Even the Prophet ﷺ, in Surah Al-Duha, Allah tells him, وَلَلْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ لَكَ مِنَ الْأُولَى even to the most beloved of his creation, Allah says, Surely the later life is better for you than the former life. 
and your Lord will give you until you are content. So Allah promised to make his prophet content by giving to him. But not in this dunya, in the akhirah. There are many such verses and surahs throughout the Qur'an in which Allah focuses on creating this awareness. The Qur'an focuses on creating this awareness of accountability, reckoning in the hereafter, standing before Allah. And in many different ways. And in this surah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam identified these two final verses as a set, a single set. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari and others. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was praising and extolling the virtues of the horse in respect of its keep. And he was explaining that if the keep of the horse, the owner of the horse, he feeds it, looks after it, keeps it, in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it will be a reward for him. And someone who keeps it in the disobedience of Allah, it will be a burden for him. And then the Prophet ﷺ, since he was speaking about the horse, the Prophet ﷺ was asked a question by someone about donkeys. That what does he have to say about the donkey? Will the same apply? So the Prophet ﷺ said, I do not find anything to say about this. إِلَّا هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ الْجَامِعَةِ الْفَذَّةِ أو إِلَّا هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ الْفَذَّةِ الْجَامِعَةِ I do not find anything regarding this except this single, comprehensive, unique verse of the Qur'an. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ Whoever does an atom's weight of good will see it. And whoever commits an atom's weight of sin will see it. What the Prophet ﷺ is saying is that this single, comprehensive, unique verse of the Qur'an, the two are considered one verse, a set. The single, comprehensive, unique verse of the Qur'an gives you the key to the lessons of life. It gives you the key to understanding your relationship with Allah. It gives you the key and the answer to any question, any item, any instrument, any deed. What if I do this? What if this happens? What if that happens? What about this? Allah has given us the ruling, the standard. Whoever does an atom's weight of good will see it. And whoever commits an atom's weight of sin will see it. I've translated as atom. In Arabic, originally, means anything tiny, small. So an ant is actually called a dharrah. 
An insect is called dharra. A particle of dust is called dharra. A grain of sand is called dharra. I've explained before that if a person is seated, he can't see the dust rising or falling in the air. I mean the smallest specks and particles of dust. But if a person is sitting at an angle and there is sunlight through the window as a shaft of light, and in that shaft of sunlight you can normally see tiny specks rising and falling, or floating, each one of these tiny specks is also called a dharra. So in essence, the Arabs would call the smallest thing known to them as a dharra. That's why in modern Arabic as well, dharra is referred to as the atom. The, the atom is referred to as dharra. So, no matter how small it may be, including the weight of an atom, a person does good to the weight of an atom, he shall see its reward. A person commits sins to the weight of an atom, he or she shall see that punishment. And everything will be revealed before the people. No one will be able to deny anything. This is a comprehensive verse. It tells us what we need to know. The man, someone asked the Prophet ﷺ about donkeys. He said... I do not find anything about it except this single, unique, comprehensive verse of the Qur'an. It provides the answer for you. I.e. the Prophet ﷺ was saying that I was speaking about horses. I wasn't speaking about donkeys. But if you want to know about donkeys, then indeed, the same rule applies here. If you do good, even to the weight of an atom, you will see a true world. If you commit a sin, even to the weight or the measure of an atom, you will see its punishment. You will have to account for it. This is an extremely important lesson that can help us overlook, sorry, that can help us overcome one of the greatest misunderstandings of religion, which is to treat some deeds as important, as obligatory, and to ignore and neglect the rest. To pick and mix, to be selective, to do only what's prominent and salient. It's become customary to believe and to practice only some of the most Apparent and salient teachings of religion, such as prayer. So, we pray, we fast, we go for pilgrimage, we give in charity. And we treat these as the hallmarks of piety. The Quran itself has warned against that. In Surah Al Baqarah, Allah 
وقام الصلاة وآت الزكاة والموفون بعهدهم إذا عاهدوا والصابرين في البأساء والضراء وحين البأس أولئك الذين صدقوا وأولئك هم المتقون. Quran says it is not piety, it is not virtue, it's not righteousness that you turn your faces towards the east or the west. Meaning in prayer. Ritual prayer is not the mark of piety in itself. It's not only it's not the only mark of piety. Rather, the Quran continues, virtue and piety and righteousness are of that person who believes in Allah and in the final day, and in the angels, and in the book, and in the prophets. So a person believes in all of these things. Furthermore, وَآتَ الْمَالَ عَلَىٰ حُبِّهِ Despite the love of wealth, or in the, in the name of the love of Allah, in the love of Allah and in the name of Allah, he gives wealth to who? ذوي القربى واليتامى والمساكين وابن السبيل والسائلين وفي الرقاب. He gives to the orphans, to the relatives, to the relatives first. He gives to the relatives, to the orphans, to the poor and needy. to the traveller, to the beggars, even in the way of freeing slaves. And who establishes salah and gives zakah. Interesting question here. Allah already speaks about giving wealth. So the first thing he mentions after correct belief is he gives wealth to the relatives, the orphans. To the poor and needy, to the destitute, to the beggars, in the way of freeing slaves. Then he says, and he gives, and he establishes salah, and he gives zakah. So, isn't that already? Is it just a repetition? Hasn't that already been covered in in the previous categories that? The Qur'an is repeating, he establishes salah and he gives zakah. No. Quite simply, when he says, when Allah says, وَأَقَامَ الصَّلَاةُ وَآتَ الزَّكَاةُ And he gives, he establishes salah and he gives zakah, he mentions that as being obligatory. He establishes obligatory salah and he gives obligatory zakah. But before mentioning obligatory zakah, Allah mentions optional charity. Even before obligatory zakah. To help all of these different categories. And then it's not just this much. The Quran continues that piety, virtue, and righteousness are of that person, of those who fulfill their promises when they do make a pledge. Those who remain patient and perseverant in good fortune and in calamity. وَحِينَ الْبَأْسِ And even in conflict. These are the ones who are true. These are the ones who have taqwa. Again, one single verse. What does it show? That religion, 
virtue, righteousness and piety are not just about facing the east or the west in ritual prayer. But religion consists of so much more. We perform only certain things as good and we hope for the reward but we neglect so much more. We abstain, we do the same when it comes to sins. We abstain only from certain sins. And these sins are now regarded as being the greatest sins. And yet there are other sins which are of an equal measure in the sight of Allah, of an equal gravity in the Qur'an and the Hadith, yet we ignore them. So the greatest rule is فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ Quran speaks first of all of good. Whoever does an atom's weight of good will see its reward. We could spend days discussing the hadith on this topic. There are so many. But just to give you a summary of some of the things that are considered insignificant and trivial, yet hold a great reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One should never hold back from doing any good. We, earlier, a few weeks ago, two, three, well, before Ramadan actually, when we were discussing the ahadith of Sahih al-Bukhari, we came across a number of hadith then as well. One of them, Prophet sallallahu said, let's not... Any Muslim woman consider it trivial or insignificant to give a gift to her neighbour, even if it's the hoof of a sheep. Even if it's the hoof of a sheep. So... Normally when a person wants to give a gift to someone else, they aim to give the best or something valuable. If a neighbour wishes to give food to the neighbour, then they hope for it to be the best. And sometimes if a person feels that, how will they receive this? How will they take it? What will they understand? Will they consider it good or bad? How will, it, how will I look? If I give only this much or this thing as a gift, Prophet ﷺ said, ultimately he didn't say this, but ultimately what? Well, it's the thought that counts. So the Prophet ﷺ said, let not any Muslim woman consider trivial or insignificant, giving anything as a gift to her neighbor, even though it may be the hoof of a sheep, even that much. In another hadith which we covered, the Prophet ﷺ said, <clears throat> there are many deeds that have been mentioned. In fact, in one single hadith, a good number of deeds have been mentioned. And all of these appear to be very insignificant. In one hadith, Prophet ﷺ said, Fear, or guard yourselves. Here it doesn't mean fear, actually. It means guard. Guard yourselves against the fire of Jahannam. 
Even though it may be through a piece of a date, not a whole date, but even if it's just a piece of a date. In fact, once Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, she gave someone a single grape, not a bunch of grape or a cluster, but a single grape. And then she said, كم فيها من مثقال ذره How many weights of atoms of good there are in this one single grape? And she was referring to the same verse in the Quran. Never gave a cluster or a bunch, but just one single grape. The lesson is, do good, wherever it may be, however it may be, no matter how much it may be. In fact, in the hadith of Bukhari, the Prophet and Muslim, Prophet relates that a man was walking when he came across a dog that was panting. So there was a well there, but the well was deep. And the dog was by the well, but it didn't have it didn't take the risk of jumping or plunging into the well because it wouldn't have been able to come out. So there was a dog by the well. And a man passed by and he saw it. And he realized that the dog is panting out of thirst and lolling its tongue. So the man said, the dog is thirsty. He descended into the well and he had no pail or bucket or container. So he took his boots or leather socks that are fit to walk in. And he filled them with water, and holding it up, he came out of the well, and he gave water to the dog to drink from his hoof, from his leather sock. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in this hadith, recorded by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim in their sahih, and by others, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him all his sins for this one single act of kindness to a dog. Just one single act of kindness to a dog. The Prophet also related another story, again in, <coughs> related by both Bukhari and Muslim, that a woman was a prostitute. She gave water to a dog to drink in a similar manner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave all her sins and granted her entry into Jannah simply for giving water to a dog. Obviously she must have repented as well. But for that single act of kindness, Allah forgave her her sins. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhu exclaimed, Ya Rasulullah, do we receive a reward in animals? Prophet said, Allah will give you, for you there is a reward in every living thing. Humans or animals, men or beasts. Another hadith, a man was walking, he saw a branch of a tree that was in the middle of the road, a thick large branch, which could have hurt someone or obstructed someone's path. Or inconvenience them. And he actually thought this, that this will inconvenience or hurt someone, so let me move it. He moved it. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him his sins just for that one act of consideration. A public service. In another hadith, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, hadith of Sahih Muslim and others, لا تحقرن من المعروف شيئا ولو أن تلقى أخاك بوجه طليق and in other narrations بوجه طلق do not consider any good deed to be trivial or worthless or insignificant even if it may simply mean that you meet your brother with a pleasant face that is an act of sadaqah smiling is an act of sadaqah Meeting someone with a pleasant face is an act of sadaqah. In another hadith, Prophet ﷺ says, Do not consider any good deed to be trivial and insignificant. Even if it may simply mean you pouring water from your pail or bucket to the smaller container of your brother. So someone else is there. They've got a smaller container. They want water. You've already drawn the water, or you've already got water in your pail. You could think, if you imagine uh, a scene in that setting, so people are gathered by a well, and one person has taken water from the well, and it's in his bucket. Maybe he's about to leave. Another person is standing there with his container, or with his bucket, a smaller bucket, or a smaller pot or container. You've made space for him. He can fill it himself. But the Prophet ﷺ said, No, do not consider any good deed to be trivial. Even if it may simply mean that you've already got water in your dal, in your pail, in your bucket. You pour water from your bucket into his smaller container. That is an act of sadaqah. A smile is an act of sadaqah. Meeting someone with a pleasant face is an act of sadaqah. Pouring water from one container to another is an act of sadaqah. A service. In another hadith, Prophet ﷺ said, the best of all people is the one who provides the most benefit to them. The best of people is one who is the most beneficial to the people. There are so many acts a good word is an act of sadaqah. In fact, in the Quran, Allah says, قَوْلٌ مَعْرُوفٌ A good word. And forgiveness. خَيْرٌ مِّن صَدَقَةٍ يَتْبَعُهَا أَذَا A good word and forgiveness, i.e. seeking forgiveness, are both far better than charity, which is then followed by trouble or inconvenience. I.e. what this means is, a person gives someone charity and then uses their charity as leverage. Or reminds the person of their kind favour to them. That is hurt. That is inconvenience. That is taunting. 
that is reminding the purse, that is boasting of one's favour and using it as leverage, making the other one uncomfortable, placing the other under an obligation and further reminding the other person of their need and of their impoverishment and of their dependence on charity. All of this put together is extreme trouble. It's other. That's the meaning of trouble. That's the meaning of inconvenience and hurt. So the Qur'an says, if someone approaches you and say, can you help us? If you were to decline, but do so in a good way, such as you say a few kind words to them, that look, I'm sorry, I'm unable to help you, I'm sorry, I can't, Uh, I wish I could, but I'm unable to. Or even if you have the means, but for whatever reason you don't, a good word, instead of rebuffing them or silently rejecting them, making them feel better, and saying a good word, he actually means seeking forgiveness, and apologizing for not being able to help them, this is far better that the person goes away empty-handed, and you apologize for not being able to help them, you make them feel better by extending a good word to them. This is far better than you actually giving some charity to them, and then later on using that as leverage and causing them hurt and pain through it. So, A good word is sadaqah. That in itself is an act of charity. Sometimes a good word is better charity by the text of the Qur'an than actual monetary charity. <laughs> One man came to the... In fact, in that same hadith about guard yourselves against the fire, even though it may be through a piece of a date... In one narration, the Prophet ﷺ says, and even if he is unable to give a piece of a date, he doesn't have the means to do so, then for بِكَلِمَةٍ طَيِّبَةٍ Then with a good word. A good word is an act of sadaqah in itself. One man came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, Ya Rasulullah, tell me of good deeds. Tell me of something I can do. So the Prophet ﷺ told him various deeds. Prophet he, to each one he kept on saying, what if I am unable to do it? What if I am unable to do it? So the Prophet ﷺ kept on reducing the deeds, what if I am unable to do this? Finally, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, that protect the people from your evil, even that is an act of sadaqah. Meaning, if you are unable to do any good, if you are unable to do any good, then make sure you don't do anything bad to anyone. Preventing yourself from hurting people, preventing yourself from doing anything wrong to the people, that, if you do it consciously, that in itself is an act of sadaqah and charity. He said that, he said... You save people from your evil, that in itself is charity for you. So whatever good we do, there are so many things mentioned in the ahadith, walking to the masjid, a single step, a single date in charity, a single good word. There is so much beauty in the Prophet ﷺ's teaching, subhanAllah.
even when it comes to those who are ill. Prophet says when you visit someone who is ill, then say something good to them. For even though it does not change any reality, even though it does not change anything, it makes him feel better. And that in itself is good. Making the third person feel better. If you are unable to help someone in charity, say a good word. When you meet someone, meet them pleasantly. All of these are acts of charity. Bring joy to yourself, bring joy to others. Bring joy to others, bring joy to yourself. Smile, say a good word, be pleasant, give salam. Every single act, in fact in some ahadith, Prophet ﷺ says that for every bone and joint in man, there is an outstanding sadaqah, an obligation of charity every single day. So for every bone, every joint we have in our body, there is an obligatory payment of sadaqah and charity and an outstanding duty of sadaqah and charity on that every single joint and bone of the body. But that outstanding duty is fulfilled and that obligation is waived and that charity is paid not through monetary terms but through good deeds. Every wudu, every salah, Every step towards a masjid, every act of charity, every good deed, every good word, every aid and assistance towards others. All of these are single, albeit small acts of charity, which one by one gradually waive the obligation of sadaqah and charity, which is outstanding as a duty on every joint and part of the body. However, similarly, just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may reward someone on the smallest of deeds, Allah may also seize someone and hold them to account and punish them for the smallest of deeds. And that's the second part. No one should be content. No one should be confident. No one should be complacent. For one of the, and what's the reasoning behind this? The reasoning is very simple. When a person commit, when a person does a good deed, they do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah rewards them for have, for that consideration, for having done that for the sake of Allah, in the name of Allah, for the love of Allah. And when a person commits a sin, even though the error, the misdemeanor, may appear to be minor, how is it seen in the Sharia? The way it is viewed is not simply that this is a minor misdemeanor. The way it is viewed is that this was a violation of Allah's command. So when Allah seizes and punishes and holds to account... It is for that relationship. It is for the violation of his command. This is why some ulama say, do not ever get into the debate of whether a sin is minor or major. Because 
Every sin is major when you realize who you are sinning against. Every sin is major when you realize who you are actually sinning against. Imagine if someone flicked a finger on your nose and simply did this. A person would feel that their person has been violated. True? And what if you remonstrated and you protested and you said, well, how dare you? What gives you the right? Why did you do that? And then the assailant justifies their action and then begins protesting to you that why are you so defensive? Why are you so annoyed and upset? It was only the flick of a finger. It wasn't a punch. It wasn't a slap. That's to add insult to injury. And indeed, it may not have caused a wound or an injury, but it's a matter of principle. You may have just flicked your finger, and it might have just irritated me slightly without causing any wound or pain. But how dare you? What gives you the right to violate my person, to assault me, to even touch me? So whether it's a punch or a slap, or the flick of a finger... The way we view it is that you violated my person. You violated my privacy. You violated my protection. In a similar manner, when it comes to the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sinning against him, we can't use rationale or reason. We can't be mathematical and calculating in our disobedience and sin, and start measuring and grading sins, that this is minor and this is major. For it it doesn't cause pain, it doesn't hurt. The ulama say, when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and when you actually consider, not what sin you are committing, but who you are committing it against, when you come to realize who you are actually sinning against, then there can be no distinction between minor and major sins. All sins are major when you consider who you are sinning against, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why Allah may reward someone for the smallest of good deeds, but similarly, Allah may seize someone and hold them to account and even punish them for the smallest of sins. And the Quran testifies to that. Whoever commits an atom's weight of sin or evil will see its punishment. And there are many examples. We, we tend to be focused on the major sins. Drink and drugs. Violence and murder. Intoxicants, substances. One of the reasons is because we can feel the pain or we can see the harm. We can see the harm of intoxicants. And so, because it's very apparent, 
So everyone rallies against it. And especially in, in certain cultures, like the Middle Eastern culture, the Asian culture, and the Muslim culture, wherever it is. In certain cultures, things, sins are avoided, not so much because they are a violation of Allah's commands, because of the shame factor. There's great shame in certain sins, and so they avoid it out of shame. And yet there are other things which are equally grave as sins in the Sharia of Allah, but because there's no stigma attached to them, or the same degree of shame, then they are freely practiced. So, are we abstaining from sins because of taqwa and the fear of Allah, or are we abstaining from certain sins, simply in order to maintain a certain degree of self-respect and dignity, and to avoid shame, humiliation, and embarrassment in the eyes of the people. So ultimately, we are more concerned about what people think of us, rather than what Allah knows of us. Not just thinks of us, but what Allah knows of us. يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْأَعْيُنُ وَمَا تُخْفِ الصُّدُورُ وَاللَّهُ يَقْضِي بِالْحَقِّ Allah says, he knows the treachery of the eyes and what the hearts conceal. And Allah decides with the truth. Allah judges with the truth. So ultimately, a sin is more great because of who we are sinning against. Allah And therefore, we shouldn't just be looking at the major sins. But anything which is a disobedience of Allah's command. Whoever commits even the smallest of sins will see its punishment. And there's one story. Imam al-Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi alayhi, was a famous scholar and widely regarded as being a great scholar and a saint. He was one of the leading tabi'een, these successors to the Sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. And he... His mother was a maid in the house of Umm Salamah radiyallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi was extremely eloquent, very well versed, highly knowledgeable. He died in 110 Hijri, so in the very early part of Islam. In, he lived at the time of great turbulence and turmoil because of the Umayyad rule. And Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi was the (coughs) governor of Iraq. And he was a notorious individual, a great tyrant. Some of the ulama used to say in those days that He's the one who was responsible for Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu's for the suppression of Muslims in Medina and Mecca at the hands of the Umayyad rulers. He was their strong man, tyrant, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, terrible person. Allahu Akbar. The ulama used to say that if all the nations of the past were to produce their worst tyrants, and put all of them in the pan of a scale. And we were to offer only Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi, and put him in the other pan of the scale, he would outweigh all of them. 
That's how great a tyrant he was. He even persecuted the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. He wasn't a companion, but he he lived at the time of the companions. He persecuted and troubled even the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. So Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi, he was, indeed, he was a tyrant. They say he had 120,000 people executed by his command in front of him. He was the Genghis Khan of the early part of Islam. And all his victims were Muslim, most of them. Including some of the leading tabi'een, Imam Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahmatullahi alayhi, he executed him also. But Imam, long story, but even Imam Sa'id ibn Jubayr rahmatullahi alayhi was executed by Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqaf. He was a great tyrant. Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi alayhi, once someone in front of him began abusing Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqaf. Can you imagine? Even Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi was fearful of him. And he was persecuted by Al-Hajjaj. Even though he was persecuted himself, and everyone was persecuted, in a private gathering at home, wallahu alam where, but in privacy, someone spoke ill of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi to Imam Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi So Imam Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi told him, remain silent, do not say a word. So he said, why? Look at who Hajjaj is. He's like this, he's like that, he's like this, he's like that. And you tell me to remain silent? So listen to the reply of Imam Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi alayhi. He said to him, listen, Allah is just. Allah is just. So for every wrong that Hajjaj has done to anyone, Allah will seek retribution and justice from him. But know this also, that every wrong that anyone has committed to Hajjaj, Allah will also seek justice and retribution for that. So no matter what he may have done, he is guilty and responsible for his deeds. But why do you seek to commit wrong to him, just as Allah will seek justice and retribution from him for what he has done? Allah will also seek justice from you for having wronged Hajjaj. Allah is just. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًّا يَرَهُ Every single sin we tend to abstain from the more prominent sins. Theft, burglary, mugging, intoxicants, abuse of substances, violence, murder. But these are deeds that have their salient, that have their prominent and very manifest harms and dangers. And that's why many of these are uh, made illegal by law because of the damage to society. But Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa Allah knows the subtle damage that sins commit. The silent and secret and almost invisible damage that sins commit, Allah has forbidden them. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa has warned us against them. The sins of the tongue, for instance. Now we consider, Allah, but if you were to punt someone or hit someone, then that's considered a great calamity. 
rightfully so. But if you were to verbally abuse them, as I say, sticks and stones break bones, but words never hurt. Nothing could be more false. Of course words hurt. And verbal abuse can actually be worse than physical abuse. Because verbal abuse leads, leaves lasting psychological damage. Verbal abuse is both mental, well it's mental, emotional and verbal. It's, it's insidious and possibly far more damaging. And it's only now in the age of learning and science and technology and the study of the mind and advances in psychology that people are now recognising the long-lasting and deep damage caused by verbal abuse. Rasulullah warned us of that 14 centuries ago. In Islam, there's no belief that sticks and stones break bones but words never hurt. Far from it. Abuse, whether it's physical, is a sin. Abuse, if it's verbal, is a sin. Abuse, if it's emotional or mental, is a sin. So we think nothing of the sins of the tongue, whether it's backbiting, whether it's slander, whether it's calumny, whether it's false accusation, whether it's namima, tale-telling, carrying tales, gossiping. All of these have their damage. Any sin, whether it's by hand or by the tongue, whether even it's the heart, whether it's by heart or mind, is a sin in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many sins are simply of the mind and the heart. A person does not have to utter a single word. Arrogance, Prophet said, a person will never enter Jannah in whose heart there is a mustard seed's weight of arrogance. A mustard seed's weight of arrogance, of pride. And in another hadith, Prophet ﷺ described that pride. He said, Pride is the denial of the truth and the contempt of the people. Holding anyone in contempt, though you may not utter a single word just by mind, is an extremely grave sin in the book of Allah. So just as Allah may reward and forgive for a single good deed, though it may be small, Allah may also seize and punish for a single sin, no matter how trivial and small it may appear to be. We should never think of sins as being minor or major in themselves. We should think of whose command we are violating. We should think of who we are actually sinning against. And when we ponder over that, there can be no distinction between minor or major. Every sin is a sin primarily against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًّا يَرَهُ Whoever does an atom's weight of good, he will see its reward. 
and whoever commits an atom's weight of a sin, he will see its punishment. May Allah Azza wa Jalla enable us to understand. I, I'll just end with a translation of the surah again. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, إِذَا زُلْزِلَتِ الْأَرْضُ زِلْزَالَهَا When the earth will be shaken, it's great shaking. وَأَخْرَجَتِ الْأَرْضُ أَثْقَالَهَا And then the earth will cast out its burdens. وَقَالَ الْإِنسَانُ مَا لَهَا And man will say, what's the matter with it? يَوْمَئِذٍ تُحَدِّثُ أَخْبَارَهَا On that day, it will relate its tales. بِأَنَّ رَبَّكَ أَوْحَالَهَا Because your Lord will have inspired it, i.e. commanded it. يَوْمَئِذٍ يَسْتُرُ النَّاسُ أَشْتَاتًا لِيَرَوْ أَعْمَالَهُمْ On that day, people will emerge dispersed in groups so that they may be shown their deeds. فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرًا يَرَهُ So whoever does an atom's weight of good, he shall see it. وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرًا يَرَهُ And whoever does an atom, whoever commits an atom's weight of evil shall see it. May Allah enable us to understand the words of the Qur'an and to act on its teachings. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ وَسَلَّمَ عَلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ وَرَسُولِهِ this lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alkotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.